Well, what is going on, everybody? Pastor Chris here, back with you for another episode of Continuing the Conversation. And last episode, it was amazing to have Armand with us, kind of wrapping up our collection regarding the harbor is a place to come to, and it's also a place to go from. And so with that, we're going to start a new collection of topics and discussions surrounding the idea and the scripture of Jesus calling his disciples. Now, if you've read this scripture, you know that Jesus, when he begins his ministry, he calls the disciples and there's a phrase he uses and it says, follow me. And so we're going to take the next few episodes and we're going to look at what it means to follow Jesus in the midst of spiritual practices. What's a spiritual practice, you may ask? Well, things like praying, things like fasting, things like resting and taking a Sabbath, things like worship, service. These are some of the spiritual practices, just a few of the spiritual practices. And uh, we're going to take a look at three of those over the next few weeks and few episodes. And so this episode is going to be on Sabbath. And so I hope that you enjoy it. Here we go. Week one of continuing conversation on following me, meaning Jesus, with the Sabbath. Hope you enjoy. Well, as I led off, we are going to be in a portion of scripture um, discussing Sabbath, discussing what it means to rest in the Lord, to rest in Jesus. And as I preemptively had mentioned at the top of this episode, we're going to look at the spiritual practices. When we follow Jesus, when he calls us to follow me, follow Jesus. Um, we're going to look at the spiritual practices that I believe for us at this stage of our walk with Christ is imperative to our development as followers of Jesus. And so we're going to look at a couple of scriptures. The first one we're going to take a look at is found in the book of Exodus. So if you are listening to this in your apartment or at a coffee shop or anywhere that you're not in a car. <laughs> you can pull out your Bible. The Old Testament is where we're going to begin. And then as we go through this, we're going to continue on into the New Testament. So we're going to begin in Exodus, which is in the Old Testament, chapter 20. The people of God, the Israelites, have moved on from Egypt and now as they are establishing themselves as a people, as a nation, there are going to be some, for lack of a better term, ground rules when it comes to their relationship with God as a nation. Um, up until this point, they have not been established as a nation. They've just been a set of tribes, people group, uh, people groups. Um, and so we're going to look at an edict that God gives to the Israelites. And we're going to build upon that. So 
again, if you have a Bible, Exodus chapter 20, and we're going to begin in verse 8 and read through verse 11. As we begin our time discussing Sabbath and rest, and what does that look like for our current state of humanity in our current culture? What are the sociological perspectives? What are the physiological results? What are the psychological results of instituting a Sabbath in our lives? So let's pick it up. Exodus chapter 20, starting in verse 8. And here is what it says Remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work. But the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, neither you, nor your son, or your daughter, nor your male or female servant, nor your animals nor any foreigner residing in your towns. For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea, and all that is in them. But he rested on the seventh day. Therefore, the Lord blessed the Sabbath and made it holy. Now, if you know anything about me, you know that I am in a constant state of moving. When I was a kid, I hated to go to sleep. I hated taking breaks. Specifically when I was a kid, I hated going to sleep because I always felt like if I slept, I was going to miss something. I was going to miss out on something. I was going to uh, some event that was happening. I had FOMO even as a child. And in fact, even currently, that's one of the things in my marriage with my wife is that there are moments where I just cannot sit still. And you're probably saying, well, Chris, that's because you have ADD or ADHD. No, the reality is, is I feel like I need to accomplish things. I'm type A personality when it comes to task lists, right? I like to to write down my tasks throughout the day, and I get a dopamine hit every time I check that task off. I don't know if any of you listening to this are like that, where you get that rush of, of the endorphins, of that dopamine that you get when you check off something on your list, but that's how I am. And so there have been moments in my marriage where we'll get to the end of the day and my wife is the complete opposite. She can just sit and relax from her busy day and just take in TV, right? And that's something I just don't have an art form for. Even if I'm sitting down on the couch, I feel like I need to be doing something, um, And I just can't take a break. I I don't like resting. And so my wife has made it very evidently clear in our marriage at times. Uh, Specifically, there was one time where I was kind of doing stuff throughout the day. And I'd gotten a lot done. I'd accomplished a lot um, regarding my task list. And it got to the end of the night or into the evening. And our kids went down. And I sat on the couch. Something's on the TV. I sat there legitimately, I think for like 30 seconds before I got up and I started doing something again. And my wife mentioned something to me. She's like, Chris, you could just never relax. You can just never rest. And that really hit me. That was something that, that her speaking into that allowed me to see, yeah, you know what? I, you're right. Like for some, whatever reason, psychologically, physiologically, I just cannot sit 
and take in something. I feel like I need to be doing things. Well, I learned this valuable lesson as uh, the years have moved on and as ministry has continued on, I never realized how much rest I would actually need. Never realized how important taking a day to just spend with God, taking a day to Sabbath rest was important. In fact, just in the last year, this was, I guess, a year ago, I was experiencing some really sharp pains in my left arm and some shortness of breath. And this went on for three or four weeks. And I just kind of thought, you know what, it's stress. It's, you know, I'm tired. It was a very busy ministry season. You know, we had gone through COVID 2022, a lot of adjustments, a lot of navigating ministry through that. And then moving into 2021, it was just kind of really reworking through some of those ministry things that we used to do before the pandemic shut everything down. And so I think in a lot of ways, my spiritual ministry muscles were atrophied a bit. So I was just really stressed out. And so I didn't say anything to anybody. Three weeks went by or so. And I kind of mentioned to my wife, hey, listen, like, kind of doing this, but I'm not really sure what it is. And then one day I went to a coffee shop here in the Tampa Bay area and I was sitting there and I was trying to write a message for the Harbor and man, the sharp pain just down my left arm and in my chest. And I immediately started Googling these things, these symptoms. And of course, like what's the first thing that comes up with men like heart attack, right? Like, Oh, these are signs of heart attack, stroke, those kind of things. So now I'm like in it, right? Like I'm anxiety now. Like, oh shoot, should I go to the hospital? So I texted a friend of mine who is uh, in the medical field. And I said, listen, this is my symptoms. This is what I'm feeling. What should I do? I don't know. I, I feel really young still, you know, 37 at this point, years old. And like, what should I do? And this person goes, you need to go to the emergency room ASAP. And I said, I don't know. I, I just, I don't feel like I should. So no, the, you need to go to the emergency ASAP. You need to make sure this is not a heart attack. So I reluctantly, like most men do when it comes to the ER, I reluctantly pick up my stuff and I head that way. So I get in and, you know, heart attack, there's no, they don't play around in the hospital or ER with heart attacks. It's like full-fledged, like, hey, if you're having these symptoms, like, we're going to set you up on machines and we're going to do all this different stuff. And so that's what happened. Got set up on all these machines, um, EKG, all that different stuff. Doctor comes in and say, hey, we're going to do blood work, all this different stuff. They do blood work. And, you know, they give me, like, ibuprofen or something, some sort of medicine through an IV. And what I start to notice is my symptoms are, are going away. So uh, this emergency room visit was like a four and a half hour, five hour visit because they have to do multiple tests. They have to make sure your body is, is good, that your body is not actually having a heart attack. And so after this four or five hour moment, the doctor comes back and he says, listen, your heart is in healthy condition. There are no signs in your blood or in, other, uh, in the other tests that we ran that you are experiencing heart attack. And so he said to me, he said, Chris, I really think you're dealing with a huge amount of stress 
which is causing these symptoms. And I need you to go and rest. I need you to go and take a break from your work. If you can find some people that can cover, you needed to rest. And so I did. I took off some time. I had some vacation that I hadn't used yet. And I took off time. And during that time, it was an active rest. It wasn't just a matter of laying down, watching TV, binge watching shows, but I read and I spent time with God and I took a Sabbath and I, you know, read books and I read devotionals and I spent time with the Lord. I mean, multiple days just spending four or five hours alone with God, actively seeking him because I knew that there was something about rest. There was something that my body needed that my mind needed, that my soul needed when it came to rest. We as people, uh, we don't typically like to rest. Now we will say, you're probably listening to this, you're a college age student, you're going, Chris, are you kidding me? If I could sleep right now, I would. But for the most part, when I mean rest, I mean taking time off from work. I mean, like really actively resting in some things, not sitting down and and looking and watching Netflix um, for eight hours, not binge watching. That's not rest, right? Like that's mindfulness um, or not mindfulness. That's like, that. Uh, what's the word I'm looking for? It, it, it's just really nothingness, right? It's, it's mind uh, numbing is kind of what I'm leaning towards. And so for us as people, we were created, though, to take a break. We are created to, to rest, to sleep, to rest in the things of the Lord, to not binge on mind-numbing activities, but to rest and be with God. In fact, it is statistically proven, and you can look this up on whatever search engine that you have, it is statistically proven that we as humans, that we can only work around 45 to 50 hours in our jobs before our pro productivity rapidly declines. 45 to around 50 hours before our pro productivity in our job rapidly declines. Why do you think this is? Well, because we were designed with rest in mind. We were designed to, to spend time away from that and to rest in the work of the Lord, rest from the work of the Lord and, and rest in the Lord of the work, as Israel Houghton, the worship leader, uh, would say. I heard him say that on a podcast just recently, is that oftentimes we can do so much work work for the Lord, that we miss the Lord of the work. And I completely agree with that. But if you're still not convinced on the spiritual side of stuff, let me first get to some of the physiological responses, the neurological responses that our body has when we are sleep deprived, when we are not resting. In fact, there's an article on sleep written in New in Health, and it displays the benefits of sleep and rest. And they're really mind-boggling when you think about it. Listen to this. This is from Dr. Merrill Mittler, a sleep expert and a neuroscientist at the New in Health 
Institute, and he says, states this. The fact is, when we look at well-rested people, they're operating at a different level than people trying to get by on one or two hours less nightly sleep. Loss of sleep impairs your higher levels of reasoning, problem-solving, and attention to detail. Tired people tend to be less productive at work. They're at a much higher risk for traffic accidents. Lack of sleep also influences your mood, which can affect how you interact with others. A sleep deficit over time can even put you at greater risk for developing depression. But sleep isn't just essential for the brain. He goes on. Sleep affects almost every tissue in our bodies. Dr. Michael Tweery, who was also a sleep expert at NIH, states this, quote, it affects growth and stress hormones, our immune system, our appetite, breathing, blood pressure, and cardiovascular health. Research shows that lack of sleep increases the risk for obesity, heart disease, and infections. Throughout the night, your heart rate, breathing rate, and blood pressure rise and fall, a process that may be important for cardiovascular health. Your body releases hormones during sleep that help repair cells and control the body's use of energy. These hormone changes can affect your body weight. And ongoing research shows that a lack of sleep can produce diabetic-like conditions in otherwise healthy people, end quote. God designed us neurologically, physiologically, to rest, to sleep. Now, you're probably wondering as we've talked about the neurological responses of rest, the physiological responses of rest, what about the anxiety that oftentimes creeps into our lives, worry? Now, I understand this is a huge struggle for this generation. Massive struggle in fact, I don't have the data in front of me, but I do know that your generation is the most anxiety-ridden generation in American history. Your generation consumes more antidepressants than any other generation in American history. Now, again, I don't have the data in front of me um, to support that claim, but I do know there's been research on that, and it's been done. But I want you to hear, in case that doesn't convince you of how important rest is and how we were designed for rest, listen to an article that was published by Helio. Listen to what it says. In the past 20 years of research, we have not found a single psychiatric disorder in which sleep is normal. This is from Matthew Walker, a PhD and professor of neuroscience and psychology at the University of California, Berkeley. That's what he states, as well as E.T. Ben Simon, who is also a PhD and postdoctoral fellow in the Center for Human Sleep Science at the University of California, Berkeley. He told Helio Psychiatric this, quote, anxiety is no exception. Nearly 80% of anxiety patients complain about their sleep, including not being able to fall asleep or stay asleep. Your poor sleep is often simply thought of as a, as a symptom of the disorder, not as one of the instigating 
are mitigating factors of anxiety, end quote. You and I, we were designed for rest. We were designed for sleep. And we see in Exodus this command to observe the Sabbath, to to rest in this thing. Because why? Because God rested on the seventh day. And so there are disagreements amongst the early church fathers on whether or not Christians should continue to practice this edict. For people like Augustine, the Sabbath is still something Christians should observe. If you know anything about the church fathers, Augustine was very influential in the church. But there are others like Ignatius of Antioch that concluded that we shouldn't participate in this Exodus command of the Sabbath because it differentiated itself from Christianity. It was a a Judean or an Israelite mandate, not a Christian mandate. I tend to think that when I look at the evidence provided by psychiatrists, neurologists, physiologists, sociologists, people that study these things at a high rate of research, I tend to think that this is something that we need to practice as followers of Jesus. And so the command to observe the Sabbath in Exodus points to three realities that I think we can take from this Exodus edict. Now, I'm going to support why I believe Christianity and Christ followers should continue to do that later on as we look at Hebrews, the book of Hebrews. But to understand the command from an Exodus point of view, from an Israelite point of view, Observing the Sabbath for them allows us allows them to understand, as well as us, three things when it comes to worshiping God. They would have called Yahweh. That was his, his name, holy name. And why they would have spent the entire day resting. First off, they understood that this divine rest on the Sabbath day of creation was made clear that Yahweh, God, is not a workaholic. He's not a workaholic. Now, you got to keep in mind that when the Israelites are coming out of the oppression that they felt as being slaves for Egypt, they worked seven days a week. There was not a moment to break. There was not a moment to rest. They consistently worked for a king or a pharaoh who demanded them to work. Now, they leave that king, that pharaoh, Now their king is God, Yahweh. They are looking to Yahweh for guidance and direction of their nation. And this king is much different. This king wants them to know, I am not a workaholic. Secondly, that that God, Yahweh, is not anxious about the full functioning of creation. He's not anxious about how it's all going to work out. It's going to work. And finally, that Yahweh or God does not depend on the endless desire to work. That he is well aware that there will be work that is continued. And so resting, taking a rest is important because there will be work to be done after the Sabbath. 
And so for us, the Sabbath is vitally important as a spiritual discipline, as a practice, because first and foremost, as followers of Jesus, we don't just throw away all of the Old Testament. The Old Testament influences the New Testament. The Old Testament influences Jesus even. It drives me crazy that there are pastors out there in our world that basically disregard all of the Old Testament as, well, that was the Old Covenant. We don't need to learn about it. We don't need to read about it. When in fact, the Old Covenant impacts how Jesus teaches, it also impacts how the New Testament writers, who were Jewish, by the way, viewed their theology and viewed their teaching when we read the New Testament. And so we see the Old Testament command from Exodus. And we take from that as an old covenant. But we also read in scripture, and I just mentioned the New Testament writers who are Jewish, they take this theology from the Old Testament, as well as Jesus, who does give new commands not to expel the Old Covenant. Not to say that the Old Covenant is irrelevant anymore, which is a later discussion for a later time. But he says, I've come to fulfill this covenant. I've come to fulfill this covenant. And so we see in chapter 4 of Hebrews now, if you have a Bible, you can turn there. New Testament, Hebrews chapter 4, verse 9 through 11. Listen to what it says. There remains then a Sabbath rest for the people of God. For anyone who enters God's rest also rests from their works, just as God did from his. Let us, therefore, make every effort to enter that rest so that no one will perish by following their example of disobedience. The point is this. You and I, we are meant to rest in the things of God. Now, this writer of Hebrews, he is writing specifically for those that are reading this to understand that we're going to enter into a rest that will occur when we cross the threshold of eternity. There is going to be a Sabbath rest that we're going to, all of the work that we've done on this side of eternity, that we're going to enter into that eternity and we're going to, that side of eternity, we're going to rest from all those works. That doesn't mean on this side of eternity, we just forego the rest if anything, we've already read some really crucial neurological and physiological responses to abstaining from that rest, to not being in that rest. And there will be a moment when we cross the threshold of eternity where we're thrust back into this rest. John Mark Homer, uh, he writes about this in a, in a book called Garden City. I love the, the illustration that he uses here where he starts off at the beginning in Genesis. It's about this garden of Eden, right? This, this garden that we see. And then in the Old Testament, or sorry, the New Testament in Revelation, it's a city, it's a new Jerusalem. Well, what he argues for is an amalgamation of the two when we cross into the new threshold of eternity. In fact, there is a pastor as well who I just watched this message a couple weeks ago, who takes this idea, this amalgamation of the two. And in fact, he, he leads us through this moment. Uh, if you remember, Jesus is on the cross. 
and there are there's a guy to his right and a guy to his left criminals one of the criminals uh, just curses him right wants nothing to do with Jesus the other one you know says Jesus remember me remember me and asks for forgiveness and you know basically acknowledges Jesus as savior and what does Jesus say to him he says to this day you shall be with me in heaven now when we look at this verse, we see this verse, the idea is when you get down to the root, the core of this is what Jesus is saying here is paradiso. That's the Greek. Paradiso. Today you will be in paradise with me. We look at that as heaven, right? We assume that's heaven. But when you get down to the, the, the Greek here, it's paradiso, paradise. That's what he says. Today you will be with me in paradise. But we assume heaven, right? We assume all the things we've learned about with heaven. We're going to step into that. The reality is, is when you get down to the core understanding of paradiso, the root word of paradiso is actually garden. Today you will be with me in the garden. And so I'd be curious, and this is a more, more, more robust conversation later on, but is God, Jesus meaning as God, that when we step into eternity, we're stepping back into the original design, the garden where we will reside for a Sabbath rest until Jesus returns in revelation and not just reconciles us back to God, not just redeems us back to God, but restores the new heaven and the new earth back to the original creation where we will then experience the garden city. But I'd be curious for you. We see the actual geographical location of the Garden of Eden in Genesis between some rivers. Those rivers still exist, by the way. But where is the Garden of Eden? When you read it, there are angels that are protecting it. And so I'd be curious for you is, is, again, this is a different conversation, but where is the Garden of Eden? I'd love to hear what you have to say about that. And so when we talk about being in paradise, we're talking about understanding that we're meant to rest in God, with God, for God. Now, historically, we, we've, we've talked about the neurological realm. We've talked about the physiological realm. Now, historically, I want to just kind of sit on this for a second for you. Historically, Sabbath played an actual active role in the lives of American American. Until the 1960s, in some places, uh, as recently as the 90s, this is what John Mark Comer says in his book, Ruthless Elimination of Hurry. If you have never read that book, I suggest reading it. It's fantastic. But this is what he says. Until the 1960s, in some places, as recently as the 1990s, Blue laws forced businesses to close on the Sabbath, a government-mandated speed limit on the pace of American life. Yes, you heard that right. Up until the 1960s, and some as recently as the 90s, places were closed on Sunday. You could not go to the grocery store. You could not go to a restaurant. You could not go to a convenience store because they were closed. You ever experienced going up to a Chick-fil-A on a Sunday? How disappointing that is. 
You drive in, you're super excited about your spicy chicken deluxe sandwich, your French fries with your Chick-fil-A sauce. I typically like Polynesian sauce, but you know, I'm not going to judge anybody for that. Maybe measure you all, but whatever. And then you drive in, you're super excited, and you realize it's Sunday. It's closed. No one's there. This was the American way of life for a long time. And it played a vital role in the fabric of American life. I truly mean, or I truly believe that it is one of a litany of reasons why we are seeing so much stress and anxiety in today's world is because we are not putting a speed limit on the pace of our lives. We're not resting as we were meant to rest, as we were meant to take a break and to be with God. When we talk about stress and anxiety, there, um, there are a few people that I enjoy reading on this subject. One of those is the American Psyche, Psychiatric Alliance. They state this in a study uh, with Generation Z, which is most of your generation that's listening to this or that attends the harbor. They said this. They said, in a recent study, 39% of Americans reported being more anxious than they were a year ago. It's a big deal. In fact, authors Kara Powell, Jake Mulder, and Brad Griffin, who are sociologists at the Fuller Institute, they state this. Approximately 20% of teenagers confess that they worry, quote, a great deal, end quote, about current and future life events. But only 8% of those parents of these same teenagers report that their child is experiencing a great deal of stress. Parents often do not realize the constant heat felt by adolescents, increasing the pressure for them to figure out who they are and what is important to them. After adolescence, emerging adults race from the proverbial stress-filled pot into stress-fueled fires. Fewer college students are reporting, quote, an above average, end quote, health since the questions were first asked in 1985. So this has been a long burn of research here. Similarly, sociologist Tim Elmore and Andrew McPeak, they concur with this assessment from Kara Powell Jake Mulder and Brad Griffin, and they state this. Data shows that today's teens suffer from greater anxiety levels than previous generations of adolescents. Students ages 15 to 21 reported the worst mental health of any generation, including in the American Psychological Association's annual Stress in America. This was back in 2018 report. The data is based on nearly 3,500 interviews with people ages 18 and older, plus 300 interviews with teens ages 15 to 17. It appears that stress is most likely to blame, with 91% of Generation Z respondents saying they felt physical or emotional symptoms, such as depression or anxiety, associated with stress. As we enter the 21st century, or as we enter the 21st century, I should state, the APA stated, the average child today experiences the same level of anxiety as a psychiatric patient did in the 1950s. Let me repeat that quote one more time. Write this down. Recognize this reality about the, 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 the constant pace and speed of life in America, in the Western uh, psyche of America in 2022. The average child today 
experiences the same level of anxiety that a psychiatric patient did in the 1950s. That is incredible research. That should be alarming to us. That the same, the same anxiety level that we're experiencing in our world today is the same anxiety level that a psychiatric patient felt in the 1950s. That is incredible. And if you've not been convinced about taking a Sabbath, I hope that line helps you recognize and realize, wow, I need to maybe slow down a bit. I maybe need to trust God a little bit more with control. Controlling of my life, controlling of my situations. And maybe I just need to rest in him a little bit more. There's a individual that attends the Harbor on Tuesday. He's a great coach when it comes to health, when it comes to fitness. Actually has his own company. I'm not going to embarrass him on the podcast. I should probably interview him and ask him about this stuff. Maybe I will. Um, when it comes to this idea of active resting, he will tell you that rest is never meant to lead to rust. And in fact, even in his fitness schedule, there was a day specifically made where there's active rest. And I, I've witnessed on the social media, I've witnessed firsthand him going and being on the treadmill and doing those things and resting, actively resting, continuing to work out the muscles so there's not rust. And I think that applies so directly to our understanding of what it means to rest in God. It doesn't mean, again, I've said this at the top of this, this, this episode, it doesn't mean we're just binge watching and doing mind-numbing activities. No, we rest, we actively pursue God by keeping a Sabbath. That may be as simply as saying, hey, I'm going to take a half day or I'm going to take 10 minutes. Or I'm just going to do something, whatever that looks like. I'm going I'm to turn my phone off. I'm going to turn my away message off. I don't know if you know this or not. But there's, an, there's a thing on your phone that you can do. It's called Do Not Disturb. And if you're worried that people may be worried about where you are because you haven't responded to their text or a phone call, you can actually send them a message when they text you and it says, Hey, I'm unavailable right now. I'll get back to you when I can. But I think it's important that we see not just scripturally, neurologically, psychologically, sociologically, the importance of rest for us. And I want to end our time with a quote from one of the leading experts on Sabbath, leading writers on Sabbath. Her name is Ruth Haley Barton. And she wrote a book called Strengthening the Soul of Your Leadership. You've never read it, read it. It's really great for leadership. This is what she says to close us out. Sabbath keeping is the linchpin of a life lived in sync with the rhythms that God himself built into our world. And yet, it is the discipline that seems hardest for us to live. Sabbath keeping honors the body's need for rest, the spirit's need for replenishment, and the soul's need to delight itself in God for God's own sake. It begins with the willingness to acknowledge the limits of our humanness 
and then take steps to live more graciously within the order of things. I wonder if you started to implement a Sabbath rest, if you started to actively seek God for God's own sake, as you honor your body, if you honor your spirit to be replenished in the things of God and honor the soul, your soul, and its desperate need to delight itself in God. I would be curious if maybe some of the worry that you experience would start to diminish. If you took a break, a pause, a speed limit, a speed bump in your life, if you would start to maybe see decreasing levels of anxiety. I'd be curious for us if we started to rest in him, if the increasing need to control life would start to decrease as we open our hands and our lives up to the things of God and allow him to know that he's in control, allow him to know and for us to recognize that we are not God, that we are giving up worshiping the idol of ourselves. And we're going to start worshiping the Father, God, who is in control, who is not a workaholic, who is not worried about the endless work that is to be accomplished for his glory in the cosmos. I wonder how all of these things would start to diminish and we would start to feel more and more comfort in being with him. As you go throughout this week, start practicing these things. Take five minutes, turn off your phone, seek him, rest in him, and experience a Sabbath rest. Well, that was part one of a three-part discussion on this collection of Follow Me. Having a Sabbath rest, taking a break, actively pursuing God. And for some of you, again, you're kind of going, well, how do I do this? What are some practical things you can do? I, I, I listed it a little bit in the podcast or the episode, I'm sorry. Um, just turn off your phone. Again, there is something that I do every Saturday. Typically, and again, I'm not perfect at this, so so we're we're practicing this together. Um, but I try my best on a Saturday um, to put my away message on on my phone and just enjoy my family, enjoy God, enjoy a meal. Typically, have a meal together. Um, typically on Friday night, we'll go. Uh, if it's not soccer season with my girls, uh, we'll go uh, order uh, some steaks from a, a local grocery store and some stuff, and we'll grill those bad boys up and. We'll sit down, we'll put some music on, and we'll just enjoy our, our family. We'll put a movie on later. We'll just kind of enjoy each other's company. We'll read. We do this thing called Daily uh, Bread, and it's a collection of just scriptures that our family has just learned to love and enjoy, and we'll pass that around and read it. And um, it's just been really, really cool to do, and we'll pray. And uh, and then on Saturday, uh, we'll do, you know, if it's soccer season, we'll just try to enjoy 
soccer with my girls and be proud of them, leave my phone in the car, just take a break from all that stuff. I don't pursue any other research or schoolwork or any work that's related to that if I can. Um, I recognize sometimes that ministry does bleed into Saturdays, and so I'll try to find a different day to do the Sabbath practices. Um, but I do stuff like that, and we just enjoy the day. I enjoy my time with God. I, I, I read uh, books. I read scripture. Um, I listen to certain things and just being with God. I sit still in solitude. This is a practice that's very difficult for us in this days. Uh, I try to spend uh, an hour or two just as much as I can just sitting in silence. Um, sometimes I have to get up earlier. That doesn't always work that way. Sometimes it's later at night. It doesn't always work that way. Um, but these are some of the practices that I do. Uh, and I'm not asking you to, to go out and run a marathon with all these things. These are steps that I've take, taken incrementally. That's even, I don't even know if I said that right. These are small steps that I've taken over time uh, to create some practices. And you're going to have to too. You're going to have to make some small steps as you progress in following Jesus. Um, so don't go out the gate and think, oh man, I got to do all this stuff. Dude, it doesn't. It's not an overnight success story, all right? It's going to take time to develop these things, but the goal is to practice them. The goal is to be with God in these things and to practice these things. So I hope these were these are some helpful tools. If you have any questions about this, you can always email me at cstephen, C-S-T-E-P-H-E-N at bayhope.com. If you have some questions about this, I'd love to help you out with it. Or if you have questions uh, that I can... Um, help you understand more about these practices. Um, do so. The next episode, we're going to take a look at prayer. This can be an intimidating practice uh, for a lot of you. It's an intimidating practice, specifically when it's praying in front of people or praying out loud. And so we're going to look at in the next episode, what does it look like to pray? What happens when God doesn't talk back or he answers us or he doesn't answer us? Or it just seems still. How do we avoid being frustrated, disenfranchisement, discouraged? How do we avoid all that stuff? So we're going to look at that in the next episode. I hope you'll join us again. Love you guys. And I am out.